1994, Kurt Stevenson, wearing his trademark pink Speedo hat and his tank top, took his considerable talents to a, a famous Los Angeles beach where movie stars roam and Mitch Buchanan runs a team of lifeguards that keep everybody safe and sexy. Kurt teaming up with Tim Sinclair was no doubt a favorite to win the Malibu Pro Beach Volleyball Championships. The real question was, could he act? I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan. One that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, Sports Storians. Welcome to Audio Video Podcast, episode number 42 of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon, the fourth of our five-part series on the icon of sport that is Karch Karai. We hope everybody's doing well during these unprecedented times we now live in and that they're enjoying our presentation of a Karai July. Parts one, two, and three, as well as plenty of other content is available at youtube.com slash sports stories with Denny Lennon. Could he act? I mean, this guy could do a lot of things like win indoor volleyball gold medals and dominate the world of pro beach volleyball. He was a highly intelligent uh, man who proved himself a man of honor uh, no, he couldn't act. Sadly, Karch's portrayal of Kurt Stevenson would win him no awards. However, before we go much further, we need to say hello to the producer of the top video podcast in the Sentinel Adobe Corridor, the director of the SSDL5 slate of shows on YouTube, and the third place medal winner from the 1987 Amateur Beach Volleyball California Classic, my QP for life, and the bronzed babe, see bronze the bronze babe of the video podcast world christine jimbo thank you for that um like i said i really am not a big fan of third place well if you're not first you're last that's what ricky bobby's father said made the metal stand so <laughs> in talladega good. uh all right so i am here to tell you to find all of our social media links on sportsstoriespodcast.com uh, I want to especially point you towards two links. Number one is the East Bay Store, which is now open, mm -hmm. and it will soon have social distancing masks uh, featuring the SSDL logo. Whoa. Look out for those. Yeah, absolutely. The People second... will keep their distance from those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will. hope not. I hope they're close <laughs> to the masks and yes. distancing from people. So the second uh, place I want to point you to on the website is Patreon. If you'd like to be a friend of the show... Go ahead and click that Patreon link on the website for behind-the-scenes, exclusive behind-the-scenes look at our shows, at uh, Box Cobbler content, mm -hmm. at the East Bay shootout. Tons of fun stuff. Um, I especially like the photo shoots with Buck. Mm. Uh, well, not to mention Kick It Out, Buck's going to be there as Oof, well. Strong so stuff. all of it can be found at patreon.com forward slash Denny Lennon or on our website, sportsstoriespodcast.com. My Twitter is at sportsstoriesdl. A little update on the East Bay 7428 shooter. I'm sure you were wondering what that's event. Well, this event, it matches up SSDL video podcast guests. They were interviewed here at the 7428 studio. So these particular 12 guests took a pre-interview basketball shot on the backyard hoop. Those shots were then ranked 
and now they're matched up against one another in a 12-team single elimination tournament where the winner is determined by voting on Twitter. The championship team, now a team includes the guest and their charity, the championship team of the event, which concludes on August 7th, will receive a $1,000 East Bay gift card for the charity. The quarterfinals are now starting, and they include, uh, let's see, who do we got? Chris McGee, the Laker broadcaster, is the number one seed. He's going against the uh, number eight seed, Scott Rice, hashtag girl dad. Uh, the two-time VBC champ, Mike Boley, will be taking on the one and only Hall of Fame sportscaster Randy Rosenblum in the next quarterfinal. Oh, man, that's big. The John R. Wooden course um, creator Lynn Guerin going against the LMU athlete and lawyer Wayne Boley. And our um, fourth quarterfinal game will pit Rock Pillsbury, who came strong with that Sierra Canyon uh, group. Uh, The athletic director from Sierra Canyon came strong with his community in an upset win in the opening round. He'll be taking on Hall of Fame ring announcer, the legendary Jimmy Lennon Jr. So those are our quarterfinals. Should be some fun. If you want to take part, you go to Twitter at SportsStoriesDL. So as we continue on, uh, you'll see in this episode, we further examine Karch's uh, pop culture appeal. So he adds to the run that we learned about in the last episode, where he should have won the Superstars title in 85. He was the inspiration for Catch Vicelli in that 1984, um, you know, movie, Spiker. And now we look into Karch, we're going to ask him about portraying Kurt Stevenson. In an episode of Baywatch, where Karch's partner is none other than Tim Hovland. Yep, the Hov never thought you'd see the Hov and Karch playing together. But you watch this episode of Baywatch and you will. They play against Kent Steffies and his partner, Matt Brody. Now, Matt Brody, of course, is played by actor David Charvet, who would use this beach volleyball-themed Baywatch episode platform to springboard the following year and win the Celebrity MVP Award at the 1995 Santa Monica Beach Volleyball Classic. That happened. True story. Everybody, you can look that up. But back to Karch. He was more than an actor, you know. Uh, We explore the vital parts of his life, like choosing to leave the national indoor team and play professionally in Europe, mixing in pro beach volleyball, and we learn the origin story and the evolution of that pink hat. Let's get to it. It's time for part four of our five-part Karai July from the USA National Volleyball Team Center in Anaheim, California. Here's our Sports Stories interview with the greatest volleyball player ever, Karch Karai. What do you think is bigger? Sinjin and Magnum or Karch and Baywatch? Ooh, it's going to be a good poll question. That's all I, I got to say. Please note this interview was recorded on January 17th, 2020. You, you win the 86 world champs, and that uh, springs you into the 88 games where now everybody's there. Yes, and, and the 86 world championships indoors. We finally got to play the Soviet Union, our friends the Russians, in an actual final. Uh, for the first time. We had beaten them the year before in the World Cup, but it's a round-robin tournament. Mm. And so we played them early and won all the matches. And then won all the, and you don't have and like hung the playoffs, on to win. Yeah. But it's nice when you get to a final round. And so we beat the Soviet Union for the first time um, to win a major tournament. First time ever. Playing for Marv Dunphy. Playing for Marv and uh, great players like Pat Powers and Dusty and Bob Stiverlick and... Um, uh, 
Steve Timmons and the whole crew. So um, a number of us then decided to go on and still play in another Olympics because we'd wanted to play in an Olympics that had as many good teams as possible guns. two years later. And um, that's a great win, of course, that you'll always remember in the 88 finals. For sure. Again, playing the Soviets. Yep. Um, Eric Sato coming in off the bench yep. and hitting his gnarly jump spin serve. Uh, jump spin wasn't a very um, familiar sight at that time. Now in the men's game, almost everybody is a very hard jump spin server. But Eric had a special one, really compact. But he would Marv would bring him in at the perfect time, and he just he was uncanny in his ability to score points for us. What um, now? Right after the '88, you're going to go over to Europe and play in Italy for a couple of years. Not right after. Not right after you started playing uh, more beach A couple of years point? after. It still wasn't allowed. A lot of people don't know this. Oh, okay. um, uh, it, the demand was still, you're a full-time player or you're not. And if, you, uh, if any of us uh, wanted to go play professionally, uh -huh. the choice was, yep, you can go play professionally, but you will no longer be on the USA national team. That's not the rule now, and everybody splits their time. So all the guys on the team now, mm -hmm. I don't know, Max Holt, and Matt Anderson and Aaron Russell and the crew uh, and the women, they're all playing all over the world in club uh, for, for professional club teams right now. But the old rule used to be you cannot do both. It's one or the other. And so some of our great players just couldn't say no anymore to the increasing offers that would mm -hmm. come their way. So after we won the 86 World Championships, some of the people who just could not refuse that those great offers, Dusty Dvorak, mm -hmm. Pat Powers, Steve Sammons, decided to go start playing in Italy, understanding that they could not come back to mm. our team, even though two years later during the Olympics, they were still at their prime. We just couldn't have them on our team anymore. Mm -hmm. So we're really lucky to have great players step in for them. Jeff Stork, a setter, Doug Partee in the middle, and Steve Timmons moving to the opposite position. And so um, we were able to carry on, but we were forced to lose some players who just want, had to think about their financial future too. Sure. And was that a consideration? And so, and so then the rule changed, sorry oh, to did. interrupt, in 1990, oh, uh, okay. around the time that I had already retired from the team. And then Steve Timmons and I got a really nice offer from a team in Italy, so we decided to go. But right around that time was the time the rule changed. And now you could go play professionally and then come back in the summers to play with USA. And you came back in the summers to play more of the AVP. Correct. I was focusing on the beach by then. When, what, what, um, how did the pink hat become a, uh, your symbol or your uh, defining? Um... At the time, I think this was around, when would it have been? Maybe 1992, something like that. Mm -hmm. I had a sunglass sponsor, Ray-Ban, Bausch mm -hmm. & Loam Company. And, um, and so they gave me some hats to wear. They didn't make any, this was really the beginning of performance eyewear. And mm -hmm. so I couldn't play in Wayfarers. I mean, those are great to hang out in, but if you get hit in the face with Wayfarers <laughs> on, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. So um, so those were out. So the way I would identify the sponsorship was to wear a hat, and they sent me four colors. Um, of course, th those were in the days when optic colors were oh, all, yeah. all the rage. Uh -huh. So they sent me lime green, 
um, optic yellow, um, black, and uh, and like hot pink. Uh -huh. And so I tried the black, and that was frying my head say, in yeah. Florida, just absorbing too much heat. Um, tried the yellow and the and the lime green, and then just decided, all right, I'm going to try this pink one uh, this weekend. And uh, my partner, Ken Steffes, and I won that tournament. So I figured, all right, well, I'll go another one. We, 13 tournaments later, yeah, we won say, 13 okay. in a row. So that then it was that. total superstition. That explains And then it. it became tradition. And then finally, it was just this albatross on my ne around my neck. Like, I can't not do it anymore. Every, you know. It's like, yeah, what do you get a free bowl of soup with that hat? It was so bad, it was good in a way. I got heckled <laughs> mercilessly for that one. I remember one was, hey, Karch, this was a great one. The 80s called, they want that pink hat back. So that was, uh, that was nice. a good one. That was well into the 2000s. Nice. But, um, well, uh, now. Um, I know someday it's going to come back. I, it's already, yeah, it's, it's circling. We interrupt this podcast to bring you a commercial. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon aims to bring its subscribers interesting, unique, and uplifting stories. You can find us at sportsstoriespodcast.com. We drop audio and video podcasts every Thursday and go live on YouTube Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Many guests have shared their stories with host Denny Lennon, such as Super Bowl and BCS champions Brendan Ion Badejo, Peter Bulware, and Trevor Lawrence, three-time Olympic gold medalist Karch Karai, Kentucky Derby winner Doug O'Neill, NCAA champions Toby Bailey and Sinjin Smith, Hall of Famers Jimmy Lennon Jr., Rudy Tomjanovich, World Champions Boom Boom Mancini and Tim Leary, AAU Sullivan Award winners Catherine Plummer, Sabrina Ionescu, and Spencer Lee. We've also had best-selling authors Wesley King and Wayne Coffey, and our sports stories favorite Norm Bass, the first African-American to play two professional sports post-World War II. Become a friend of the show on Patreon, and you can help keep the dream alive. Go to patreon.com forward slash Denny Lennon, or go to our website to see all of our social media links. If you have an interesting, unique, or uplifting story to tell, contact us on sportsstoriespodcast.com. And now back to our interview. Um, there's a guy who played in the uh, Malibu Open by, by Kurt Stevenson. Mm -hmm. Remember this guy? Uh, I do vaguely remember Kurt. I'm, I'm, tri I'm tricking uh, you here. It is an episode of Baywatch. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <buddy. laughs> I wanted to see if I could catch you off guard. No. Um, <laughs> it was classic because we were talking about it a couple of years ago, and one of the great members of our USA women's coaching staff or uh, or women's national team staff. Our uh, performance analyst, technical coordinator, Jeff Liu, was okay. like, really, Kurt, you were on one of those? Like yeah. three minutes later, he's a master at searching and sure. dug it right up on, on the Internet. So Love we played it. it for the team, and they were just cracking I'll it up bet, at, at, at my horrendous acting skills. Yeah, I had, and Hovland just like played three himself. Lines. Hovland and Hovland played just himself. was Hov. He just played himself. It was yeah. hilarious. Um, and that David Charvet can play a little bit. He did. He's good. He could, yeah. At that time, he... He he uh, helped make some very legit volleyball scenes. He, he was good. Um, we uh, and had he would play in a lot of like pro ams. That was the one we did in Santa Monica. And he, Santa Monica. He, he, he played and in he, that one. He for sure he crushed on everybody. Play. He was yeah. really good. Yeah, like Tom Selleck, who was our honorary team captain, a That's, very uh, legitimate volleyball player. Magnum's my guy. Yeah, which is the only thing you know. Sinjin's got on you. He was in an episode of Magnum PI. Absolutely, he's got that on you. I don't <laughs> have acting skills. I have some volleyball skills, <laughs> but don't he, count on me. He was killed off in the first about two words. He was fact, killed off. Two so. words is probably too many. 
many for me. So, so then, um, if you don't mind, the Atlanta, um, we moved to Atlanta, yeah. and you're, now you're playing on the beach. And um, w- did you have to qualify via the World Tour at this time, or was it because the entry was a host? Country? There were two routes to qualify for the first ever beach volleyball Olympics. One was to play on the international tour, mm-hmm. which is now the only route. Which is the only route. But in its infancy, um, everything was um, not as clear as it is now, understandably, because it's the first time. And a lot of us were committed to playing a very intense and full-time, full, you know, from March to end of September, early mm-hmm. October, AVP season, 25 mm-hmm. events and all around the country. And really good players sure and so most of us decided well we don't want to leave our tour and stop supporting this american tour we want to continue its growth and mm-hmm. try to fuel it by having the best players there some teams left and uh, so did not compete on the avp anymore uh, carlos briseño and jeff williams were one of those teams mm-hmm. and the other the best of those teams was sinjin smith and carl henkel mm-hmm. and um and so uh that led to a lot of um, disagreements and mm-hmm. bones of contention because we had so many good AVP players. We felt like they all deserved a, a shot to be there. But the route was if you were really good on that tour or the best American team on that tour, you got straight in. So Sinjin and Carl got straight in that way. And then the rest of us went through uh, the only, as far as I'm aware, the only Olympic trials that's been held. Yeah. And it was in Baltimore, of all places. Sure. Um, and so it was a really fierce tournament. I'm all these great players, Scott Akatubi right. and Brian Lewis, Ricky Ludes and Brent Frohoff. Much and more difficult route. Yeah. And, 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 and it was almost like the uh, track or swim trials yes. where you have to be good on that trial. Yes, you do. So or not you a don't cumulative go. thing. Yeah. And so Mike Whitmarsh and Mike Dodd had a great trials. They actually won the trials, even though we didn't play it out. They won the winner's bracket, so they were already in as one of the top two finishers. Okay. Didn't play the finals of the tournament because they were already in the finals of the tournament. And then um, and they beat us. And so Kent, Steffes, and I had to work our way through. We got a huge break at the end because Randy Stoklos sprained his ankle mm. in warm-ups in mm. one of the late matches. And so we beat him, uh, beat Randy and his partner, Adam John. Johnson uh, pretty easily, thanks to Randy yeah. not being at close to full form, and ended up um, competing in the Olympics. And so we were lucky. We had three American teams. Three there. American teams. Sinjin, Carl, Mike and Mike, and Kent and I. And uh, nobody really understood outside of that wasn't paying close attention to beach volleyball, that whole backdrop on the qualification, which made that game that you guys had in the first round of the playoffs, I think, against Sinjin take on a different level. And then some justification for American domestic play by you guys playing in the finals against another American team? It was um, probably one of the most intense matches, if not the most, that I played for sure. Again, there was a lot of political disagreement between the AVP and the FIVB, disagreement about the way we qualified teams, disagreements about lots of things. And so we were, a lot of us were really frustrated that a third AVP team couldn't be in that event. Right. Um, I was popping off too much and, you know, downplayed what, what kind of a team Sinjin and Carl were, you know, basically saying, I'm not sure they even belong to be here. Or maybe I would just say they don't belong to be here. Uh, they don't belong in this tournament because they, 
uh, avoided the trials, but as it turns out, they played a great Olympics and did deserve to be there, contrary to my opinion. And we ended up battling them, and Kent was just the star of the Olympics and, and carried me to victory there. Um, we weren't playing our best game, and a lot of it was thanks to Carl and Sinjin playing so well. Mm -hmm. But we squeaked one out, and we were really happy to because our hope and plan all along was if Mike and Mike, our good friends from the AVP, Mike Dodd, Mike M Whitmarsh, mm -hmm. And we could keep winning. We wouldn't meet each other till the final, and we could have an all AVP, all American exactly. final. But if we had lost to Sinjin, that would have screwed that the whole thing up. Wow. We barely squeaked that one out. It was a great win with a lot of um, a lot of layers of stories underneath there really it. Was. And people still call it one of the classic beach volleyball matches of all time. I think you can find it on YouTube. Uh, but then we ended up playing uh, Mike and Mike in the final, and it was fantastic. We, none, we didn't even really want to have a winner. We just were so happy to play each other and show the world that at that time, the Americans are, are the best in beach volleyball. Did it hit you prior to or after that suddenly now you're the guy who won two indoors and a beach gold? Did, did that whole conversation come through your head at all um, prior to that? Did you see where that would be a unique historical type of thing? I wasn't thinking about it at the time. Um, I think as time goes on, it's probably going to be a little more difficult to do to win a mm -hmm. gold in each discipline. Mm -hmm. And soon, there's a lot of work to try to add snow to that. So now can <laughs> somebody win snow, <laughs> beach, indoor? But I think the ultimate would be, and of course this is going to happen, or I hope it happens someday, to blow all the records away, is I would love to see somebody, male or female, uh, be so good that they're both on their indoor team and beach and win gold at the same at the Olympics. Same Olympics. <laughs> to work out the schedule just like they do for swimmers, you know, how Michael sure. Phelps, they figure out how to set the race, str uh, the wow. schedule so that they can contend I'll for put, more. I'll so put Catherine Plummer up for that, but I bet the Who Olympic knows, uh, women's it, coach might not want to have their player play. Uh, <laughs> maybe not me, but, I, but, you know, if somebody's good enough, like yeah. think of Misty May. Sure, she could have. Uh, completely dominant indoors, yeah. willed that her team something. to an undefeated season and an NCAA championship in 1998. Didn't spend much time indoors, enjoyed the beach a lot more. Um, and, and her three golds, yeah. uh, also playing in Sydney and falling short of a medal there. But somebody like Misty May, maybe a setter, something like that, I could see potentially somebody, um, like that. Yeah. somebody so good and so valuable to her team indoors and beach that I could see a coach being open to that. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is supported by the AAU. Find a local event and join at aausports.org. And remember, you can catch your favorite amateur sports live stream, replays, and highlights at ballertv.com. Sports Stories, along with East Bay, supports the Heroes Movement, a nonprofit that bridges the gap from mental or physical therapy to getting strong again through strength and conditioning workouts. This free service is available for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Visit heroesmovementusa.org for more information. Sports Stories, along with thousands of people across the country, also supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation, a nonprofit that provides traumatized children with new belongings and new hope. Learn more at mystuffbags.org. 
Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and is available on Apple Podcasts and YouTube or wherever you listen and watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. You can find all our social media links, archives, and other info on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Special thanks to the John R. Wooden Course and Wooden's Wisdom. Original music for Sports Stories is courtesy of Lennon Music Productions. Original images by Sienna Lennon Photography. Sports Stories is produced by Christine Jimbo and Marley Rice. Sports Stories is edited by Bob McCall. Additional staff include Ray Castro, Teresa Dolan, Jake Downey, Carlos Haro, and Buck Magic Lennon. Well, my job is done. I guess I'll go watch Sports Stories with Jenny Lennon. It starts at 5 on YouTube. Meow. Check it out, book!